Hi, I'm Dr. Rosalind Beer, and you're listening to Further with Founders. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking to business founders within the Further Network. They'll be telling me about their journey so far, the highs and the lows, the bootstrapping and the funding rounds, the business challenges and the human stories. On this episode, we have Julie Garland from AppTrain. She's innovating and disrupting in a male-dominated industry. Enjoy the chat. So I'd just like to welcome Julie Garland from Avtrain and also joined with us is Richard from Further VC. So we're going to start off talking to Julie about her background. So Julie, um, tell us about your background before you set up Avtrain. What's your career been to date? Uh, so I started off my career back in the last century as an aircraft maintenance engineer. I was an apprentice with Aer Lingus and uh, so turning spanners, fixing airplanes and from there, my grandfather had had me in the cockpit. Well, he'd had me in the cockpit of an airplane, but also in a flight simulator when I was eight years of age. So I had always wanted to be a pilot. And I saw the aircraft engineering as a, as a route to become a pilot. So eventually, I bit the bullet and to change career, went off down to South Africa, did my pilot training in South Africa, came back and got a job as a flight instructor, first of all, then as a uh, first officer with Air Aaron then a captain with Air Aaron, and then went from Air Aaron into CityJet as a direct entry captain. And while I was in CityJet, we were traveling all over Europe, fabulous, uh, best view from the office you're ever going to get. And But I decided at that point in time I wasn't going to retire from the left seat of an airplane, that it wasn't going to sustain me until I came to retirement age. So uh, I took another big jump and I decided to study law and I became a barrister. So I uh, attended King's Inns, I did the diploma in legal studies and then the full-time degree program there. Got called to the bar in 2010. I practiced for five years. And then I went into Norwegian as the director of compliance for Norwegian Airlines. Um, but I'd gotten the, the bug at that point in time where I saw the next innovation piece that was coming in aviation, which drones, unmanned aircraft are the biggest thing to happen in aviation since basically the Wright brothers crossed the Atlantic. So I suppose a combination of the technical background along with the operational experience from airline flying and all of the legal really, you know, those three facets coming together is what brought me to this, you know, super innovative industry, which is drones. Okay, so before we get into Avtrain itself, um, you know, would you have seen yourself as an entrepreneur or had those kind of tendencies? I mean, you seem to be very self-motivated, a go-getter, very resilient. So tell us about your mindset you know, that way. All the way through, somebody had put a salary in the bank, um, you know, and that's, uh, that's, that's something that, that can be a bit sticky, you know, and that you get quite comfortable with. Um, having said that, I think being able and being happy to make those really significant career changes just goes towards actually going and getting what it is you want at the time when you want it. So I'd certainly, I think throughout the career changes that I'd made, um, I had gone after what it was I felt was the next step in my career. And really when it came to drones, when I looked back to uh, you know, looking to when I was at the bar, you know, you're self-employed then. So you, that I suppose it was went in steps and stages. It went from, you know, a comfortable environment as an apprentice in a state airline, you know, moving on into the aviation realm where a little bit less security in around it and then really taking the big jump to being self-employed at the bar. So it, I did take it gradually, if you like, when I look back on my career. I didn't realize at the time it was a gradual transition to becoming a fully fledged entrepreneur. But when I look back at it now, it certainly was a step-by-step process. Okay, so bring us now to Avtrain and the concept, the idea, the naming of it. You know, what resources did you pull together and what people 
did you pull together and what did you need? Yeah, so Avtrain really stems back to about 2014. And um, in 2014, I saw this opportunity. The I was at the bar at the time and the Irish Aviation Authority had actually approached me about looking towards the regulatory environment. We saw the per, there was a proliferation of drones in the skies at that time. They had become very much on a hobby basis rather than on a commercial basis. And um, we've a, an incredible regulator here in this country who saw this as, a, you know, an innovation in aviation and wanted to support the regulation of that industry in order to allow it to grow and flourish rather than to prevent um, the, 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 the industry from growing. So um, I did some work with them. I set up the Unmanned Aircraft Association at that time, and that was really to put an umbrella over the industry to introduce a professionalism and an aviation standard to the industry that was, you know, at the time was, you know, mainly toys that were available off the shelf. Um, but putting that professionalism in and realizing and, you know, reaching out to people and, and demonstrating to them that what they were flying were aircraft rather than toys. So that was the start of it. So that was back in 2014, set up the Unmanned Aircraft Association. I was the founding chair of that association. And uh, from there, we did some work with the Irish Aviation Authority on the original statutory instrument, which allowed for the growth of, of what are called pilot competency certificates and specific operation permissions. So they were like an operator authorization and a pilot's license for flying drones. Um, where Avtrain came about, I still carried on. So I did nearly five years of part time where, you know, stayed in the industry, carried on working full time. And uh, and we did we'd set up what was called an RTF, which is a registered training facility at that time. But come 2019, I saw that we had a European regulation coming in. So there was never going to be an opportunity for the Irish national drone industry to support a full time career and a scalable business. Um, it would have always been a lifestyle business rather than a scalable business. But once we got our European regulations, which were introduced and really we got much more solid basis for the implementation date of those regulations in 2019, I bit the bullet and uh, decided to go after it full time. And I was very fortunate with um, at that point in time where I applied for CSF funding from Enterprise Ireland and I achieved that on the first round. So that really reinforced my decision to uh, to take the big jump. So it was a big jump at the time, but you could see the future of the industry and you could see the growth in the industry at that time. Okay, so you're pretty much a vision, visionary within your field. How has it been being a woman within the airline industry? Has that kind of, obviously talking about International Women's Day, you know, are you breaking down barriers, pushing through glass ceilings, soaring through skies? You know, how have you found yourself navigating in that world? Has it been easy? Um, it's certainly been, um, easy is definitely not a term I would use for it. Um, it has been, and I suppose at the times, particularly as an aircraft maintenance engineer, that would have been a massively male-dominated environment. I think there was, uh, I think we were number five and six, Alice and another girl in my class, myself, I think we were number five and six as aircraft engineers. And I think at the time there was about 1,900 um, male aircraft engineers in the hangar floor. So, um, you know, that was obviously from a percentage point of view, I don't think we even, you know, we're to, to points zero ones of, of, a, of a percentage. Um, and yes, I had a very close group of classmates there who we still have reunions every year. So we had a very close uh, knit group who didn't see any difference between male and female because we were all just young people um, learning a new trade. Whereas some of the older generation within that would have seen that the only reason that we were brought in was because we were female and were quite, uh, and it could be quite difficult at that time. Um, I suppose that went on into the flying side of it. Again, in the flying business, I mean, less than 5% of the pilots in the world are females still to this day. 
So um, again, when you get to a senior role within that, I was a captain, I was a training captain, so you're a Czech captain. And there would have been two factors there. One would have been age as well, because I was, you know, in my in my early 30s at that time. And um, if you're checking, you know, older senior pilots and, uh, and you know, then, and, and you're a female, so you've got a double whammy um, on that. So, yep, uh, but they're challenges and they're things that, that at the time when you look back, they're easy to identify as challenges. But at the time, you just got on with it. You didn't dwell on it and you just moved forward with it. And you you had to brush it off because if you didn't brush it off, if you absorbed all of it, all of the negativity that may have been around it, you wouldn't have carried on. Okay, so in relation to the business, um, challenges in terms of getting it off the ground, was it, how easy was it to sort of initiate traction and to get yourself, you know, actually trading? So you took, as you said, you started off, as a sort of a side hustle while you were working, but then taking that leap. So how how was that? And again, what what people did you get around you, and what was what did it look like in the first six months to a year? Yeah. So and even going back the the year before, I mean, I did up spreadsheets and plans as to how much money I would have to have them in the bank in, in order to be able to do this. And eventually, I just said, just do it. You know, stop with the spreadsheets because you're never going to be able to convince yourself. Um, you either know it's the right time to do it or it's not. And timing in in any innovative industry timing is always critical and I knew the timing was absolutely right because we were getting the European regulations now at the time it was October 2019 you wouldn't have predicted what would have happened in March 2020 um, so that timing did slip out a little bit um, the, the regulation itself was put off by six months because of COVID but having said that it, it didn't dramatically affect the business it did change how we did our business but um, the jump into it was uh, is scary and I think uh, you know you have to know that you're doing the right thing and then it's it is absolutely Absolutely critical the timing of when you go about doing something like this. Particularly if you're leaving a full time role and going into an entrepreneurial position, you have to be very sure that. Uh, you, and I suppose I had a fallback uh, position, which was I would go back flying airplanes in the left hand seat. It's not a bad position to be in. So I did have that, and I had that you know really solid comfort blanket underneath me. Um, so when I when I did make the jump, as I say, it was October 2019, and the CSF funding having that validation from Enterprise Ireland was huge at the time because really just reinforced your decision making process. And one of the things we did then, and we talk about it still, is, is find your tribe. So as part of the CSF funding, it was Dublin Bic at the time, which is now. Um, uh, further, we did the uh, the Innovate program with them. So it was all female founders and they are still definitely my tribe. So we have a really positive WhatsApp group. If anybody needs anything, we just drop a question in there and there's immediate responses from everybody. So it is about find your tribe. And I think certainly Dublin Bic and further really helped us with that, with that Innovate program and uh, as part of the CSF at the time. So that was, you know, when you when you become an entrepreneur, you have a brilliant idea but you don't know about all of the other things that it's going to take to really successfully build and grow a business. So you're, you start off with one brilliant idea, but you have to become then the business person, the HR person, the finance person, the, you know, all of these other roles, which are roles that you probably haven't fulfilled previously. So in looking at that, I kind of wanted to touch on the, you know, area of resilience, because obviously you, you've have it in spades, but, you know, in those years between pre-launch and launch and in, in in the latter years going through COVID, you know, did you find resilience was something that you that you needed? And and can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a sole founder. So 
resilience is, you know, you just have to have it in spades because as a sole founder, you don't have that sounding board. And I went through the start of COVID as a sole founder. Um, I'm I'm still a sole founder, but I do have a team around me now, which makes such a huge difference of fabulous people with me and working with me. But starting off, it's a lonely journey. And when you then faced into COVID, having no idea how it was going to affect the business, I'm probably one of the few businesses who could say that coming out the other side of COVID, we did, it actually was, it had a twofold effect in our business, both of which were positive. One was people started really um, accepting online learning which from our cost-based point of view had a real impact on us because we didn't have to carry on renting rooms, paying for lunches for everybody. Everybody was coming online um, and then and then literally putting the business online as well. So people just automatically accepted online learning and that facet and it was a huge cost saving then for the business as well. So it did have a twofold effect. And the other thing was people accepted having drones in their life um, and looking at this non-contact capability for delivery or, you know, from from this uh, embracing technology in order to continue with our lives. So it was a twofold. One was the acceptance of technology into our lives and the other was online learning and uh, pivoting to, to being fully online. Super. So just to give us an overview, just for anyone who doesn't know about Avtrain, you know, what is, what is it that you do day to day and, and just for people yeah. listening in. So, so. so our mission at Avtrain is to encourage prolific drone operations and to keep the sky safe through the highest standards of training and certification. Um, what that means in terms of what we do on a day-to-day basis is we train pilots who are going to operate drones. We do a huge amount of consultancy with businesses who want to incorporate drones. And then we also look towards businesses that are drone businesses. So say the likes of, of Bobby Helium Mana, you'd know well. Um, but also um, we work well with the IDA as well in encouraging other businesses into Ireland to establish in Ireland. Brexit, again, is probably one of the most favourable things that's happened in our industry because we're remaining as the last English-speaking nation in EASA, which is the European Aviation Safety Agency, apart from Malta, which is, a, is, a, is a certainly a competitor. But, um, but we do have that established tax regime. We have really established um, business processes. We have the IDA out there, you know, fighting to bring businesses into Ireland. So we have this really positive positive culture as well. We have the technical capabilities, we have all the staffing. So we work with other companies and bringing them into Ireland, helping them to establish here um, and you go through the regulatory process here because we've got such a positive aviation regulator here it's really seen as a positive place to grow a European base for drone operations so you can see even recently um, Google Alphabet's subsidiary Wing has just started up here as well another drone delivery we work with uh, Sprite as well another US company has just come in here and there's numerous others and I think the vision for Avtrain at the moment we work within the regulatory environment that we have which is around the drone industry so when people think of drones they're thinking of relatively small aircraft but our vision is not just around small aircraft it's around eVTOL aircraft which are these electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft and that we'll be doing the pilot training and also um, the big piece of where we're, we're, we're moving towards now and where we will be looking for investment in the company is on the software side and building out compliance verification software in order to allow drone operators to much more simply navigate the regulatory quagmire that they can sometimes find themselves in. We went from having six pages of regulation here in Ireland governing the industry to now nearly 450 and that's just for one particular part of the industry. So it's really, re- you know, go- getting through that regulatory quagmire and that's where we help and I think that's where my background really comes into the fore. Okay and before we get on to the financing and funding just obviously it's very much in the news about the drone safety and you've been on 
the news talking about um you know drones over um dublin airport so do you want to have a comment on that yeah sure i mean i think one of the things and 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 i just see it's such a um we spend our lives um you know going out about the positives of the industry and it's terrible to see that there's a few out there who are causing disruptions in airport environments where the whole thing is is the safety of the industry is reliant on drones staying away from uninvolved people so whether they're on the ground whether they're in the air is that we manage that distance and the safety aspects of it and i really do think that there's a there's a lack of public awareness as to the dangers that can be involved with drones. So we need to manage the technology. We're we're in a positive regulatory environment where towards the end of this year, we will have more limitations on the kind of hobby drones that are available off the shelf. So if you get somebody who's just unaware of the dangers, that will be prevented. But our airport environments, our airports also, and the government needs to, to fund and finance the airports to allow them to have the technology available to them that they can quickly detect um, an aircraft, an unmanned aircraft that's entering the airspace identify it and positively identify it and then prevent it from causing disruptions at the airport so yeah it's it's a it's a big piece of work that needs to be done i think um in fairness the government they're really on top of it now um it's taken a while and it's taken some some fairly serious commentating um to get to this point but i think between the aviation regulator dublin airport authority the different airport shannon airport authority cork as well um they're all very much on top of it now and i think over the next few weeks we'll see a significant change in the counter uh uas technology that will be available at the airport and in the airport environments yeah so i mean drones are here to stay and they're positive and again it's just about you helping promote that in the in the industry just moving on to funding so you mentioned the csf which is the competitive startup fund which is um provided by enterprise ireland it's kind of it's been you know changed a little bit to be prep for seed now so it's a little bit different in terms of what it is but um funding how so that you said that really validated for you personally and for the business but you know in terms of seeking so i know you're on a, a sort of a a current raise um so talk to us about funding so far and how has it been financing the business and how is it what is it you're going through now in terms of raising yeah so we've very much bootstrapped the business to where it is right now um we've three people working in the business we've got a really significant turnover from from the point of view of where we, we where we've come from so we've grown the business and we've grown it organically and i think we've just got to the point now where we need that to really jump ahead we need that chunk of money now and it's really going into the software development and it's automating the processes in the last 12 months we've seen a really significant change in the business we were doing mainly training 80 percent of what we were doing would have been training 20 percent would been on the consultancy side what we've seen is that complete complete about face where new businesses are coming in the the regulatory environment has really grown and has deepened and we've got a lot more structure around the regulatory environment. So what we need to do is break that down into its individual parts, develop out software that allows us then to verify compliance with the regulatory environment that's there. We're doing, that's about 80% of our time, but we're doing that as a manual process now. So to truly grow and scale, we need to automate all of those processes, which we can do. We've talked to, to various different developers around doing that. So we're ready to go to out, out for funding now and um, and we're ready to raise. So um, Richard here beside me will be going to, um, <laughs> to, to chat very soon, but but it, it, it is about that that um, being ready. I, I think we've we've had to spend this time getting ourselves to the point where we really know we're ready to go out to market. We were talking about it last year, but we weren't ready. Um, we know we are now, and we know we're ready to, to go out to, for exactly what we want, exactly what we need. How we're gonna how we're gonna use that money when we actually do get it as well into the business. Okay, super. I think yeah, that's that's part of it. And Richard, you probably have 
a wealth of, of information knowledge to share but it is about being ready and uh, you know knowing exactly what it is you need and what you what you need it for so as our further uh, head of further VC would you want to comment on funding in general and for um, a company like Julie's you know what VCs are looking for what it is that they need to be positioned on as being sort of preferential for getting investment you know yeah no thanks Ros and Great to meet you, Julie. I, I did meet you before on the Innovate programme a few years ago, briefly. Um, I suppose just we'll get on to Avtrain in a minute and your fascinating background and where you've got to. Um, as a VC, we're, we're very active in the market. We're a sort of C to Series A fund. It's actually the fourth fund that Further VC has managed. We uh, launched the first two seed funds in Ireland in the early 90s and managed a, a, another fund up to 2015. So we're very active and we're investing in B2B software companies and medical device companies to a lesser extent across Ireland. So, um, you know, it, we're, we're kind of investing at that stage from C to Series A. And our, and our style is, you know, we do work, everybody says they do it, but I don't think they really do. As a VC, we would like to say we form partnerships with the companies that we invest in um, because it is quite a long journey. Um, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. So we spent a lot of time getting to know teams uh, before we meet and the stage they come to us typically we're the the, the first institutional investor um, we always co-invest and, and we help companies to, to build rounds um, so you know what we're really looking for is we're going on a journey we know it's going to be sort of five seven years even longer in, in some cases depending on the stage that we get in ultimately for us you know it's it's about obviously having fun along the way but making a return our fund has been raised uh, from 35 high net worths, uh, private investors, entrepreneurs, business leaders. And, you know, we're here to support kind of the, the next generation of, of, of highly scalable startups in Ireland. So ultimately, you know, it's it's like going into a, ma- a marriage, as John Phelan would say, with, with a planned divorce at the end. So we want to see, OK, if we go into this company, uh, we look at everything that moves in the company. But ultimately, what kind of return can we make? So, you know, typically... And it sounds greedy, but venture funds typically, when they're investing in a company, are looking to, to make 5 to 10x plus, depending on the stage the company's at and the level of risk in every investment they make. Now, that doesn't mean that we make that return overall for the fund because, you know, we're going in, we're taking risk, um, we're, it's unsecured. So a lot of, you know, a good chunk of companies we invest in, we don't make any return. So really the ones that, that make it um, have to do well to make up for those that don't, and all, you know, overall as a fund. Uh, to make a return so getting on to like you know what we look for in a business I mean first and foremost we we, you know we look at the team the team is by far the most important element it really is Uh, we've just seen that time and time again so you're just very very impressed with uh, with Julie's background Um, you know showing a lot of characteristics that we would look for in an entrepreneur very very impressive Um, great to see Um, a female engineer I'm an engineer too and there weren't enough women back in, 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 in the day when I was doing engineering in Trinity, and I'm, I'm hoping that that will change. Uh, there still isn't, and it's better in Europe, and it's something I feel very strongly about. I've got three young daughters, um, so getting more women into STEM I think is great. But Julie's path is just um, so fascinating. Um, so you did touch on sort of what characteristics are we looking for in the people. Um, it really comes down to sort of drive, Julie has that, energy, resilience, domain knowledge, being grounded, knowing that you don't know everything, and listening to people I love what you mentioned about the tribe so you know you're demonstrating a lot of the characteristics that we would look for in an entrepreneur and that really is the most important thing and then really you know after that you know the product is obviously important but the market is 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 more important than the product because if 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 there you've got a great product and there isn't a market well then you don't have a business um we've seen a lot of great companies maybe develop a product um for a given market and find that the product isn't maybe 
you know, doesn't meet customer requirements, but they can, they can, or the market changes, so they can, they can pivot and adjust. So, you know, when it comes to market, uh, market timing is very, very important. And, uh, you know, I'll be talking to Julie after this and we'll be getting into sort of more detailed discussions in those elements. But it's, it's really important. You want to get into a market just when the tar- timing's right. And um, if you get into a market that's too early, and we've experienced this with previous funds, you know, there's a lot of risk there because you're really waiting for the market to take off before your product can really scale. And if you get in too late, well, you know, then it's mature and there's a lot of competition. So I think the timing intuitively seems very, very good. And uh, Julie's domain knowledge is is kind of uh, very unique, I would say, in this area. Just combine, you know, the combination of her aviation engineering background, being a pilot and a barrister. Wow, and now an entrepreneur. So big tick there. Um, you know, what we'd be looking at is how, how are you going to scale the business? You know, um, so what's typical of many startups, you know, it's a combined sort of consulting product business like to see the software development plans and how because that's probably you know it's easier to scale a product than to scale certain elements one-to-one consulting where you you ultimately need to build a huge uh, team Um, so we're really looking for sort of product software products in your case you're not a medical device so understanding the product um, that the roadmap for developing that um, and and you know how are you going to go and sell that into the market so we'd be looking at the, the go-to-market um, plan in, in detail. Yeah, no, um, I just I guess because Julie mentioned there about being ready and she was not maybe ready a year ago. So do you think that that's important that companies kind of don't go too soon, that they have their ducks lined up? Or is it yeah. worth having a chat preliminary? Like, what, what's your view on that? I think I think it's okay to go early if you kind of acknowledge that you're early. We, we like to meet companies early, actually. And, you know, many of the investments, we had a very bit, busy year over the last 12 or 16 months or so nearly a deal a month and a lot of the companies we invested there were companies that we met sort of two years prior um, so I think it's it's good to go out and talk to investors early and form those relationships um, but once you kind of acknowledge that you're probably too early or you know you, you take feedback um, if, if, if you're going out and, and you believe you're ready and maybe you're not what's important is really to ask investors well you know what would you like to see um, you know if we do x y and z or what would you like to see for us to be investable so I think Julie's story there is very kind of typical uh, where, you know, there's a little bit of like CSF funding and bootstrapping. Um, you know, that's where the resilience really uh, comes the in. the that they've gained and, and I guess, you know, as you say, the market fit and also the fact that the market is growing. So and there's even it's even expanding. Um, well, well, that's it. I mean, you know, what we want to see with a, a medical device, you're typically, you know, you're pre-revenue and it's all about getting to regulatory approval and, and an exit might come before you actually sell anything. If you're a software business you know and you're selling maybe some services around that we want to see the traction and we want to see how that's accelerating and a pipeline and you know so that could be a difficult stage for software companies to sort of bootstrap and fund through to a, a level that's of interest to you know a fund like ourselves okay super thanks for that so just moving back to julie um just kind of finishing off looking at helping other entrepreneurs coming up before you know in at stages before you or where you're at what advice would you give them in terms of if looking at your pathway into where you are and about raising you know what 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 advice and nuggets of advice would you offer them uh, do it 
Um, you know, really and truly, you can spend so much time thinking about um, what you're going to do, how you're going to go about doing it, planning everything out perfectly and everything else. Just do it. Um, and I know it's like an, a Nike tick or anything else, but it, it really is. It's about um, making that jump, having confidence in yourself. And I think really when we talk and looking at female founders, entrepreneurs, you know, it is having that confidence in yourself as well. It's, uh, it's sometimes we overanalyze. Um, we tend to ha- want to have everything perfectly lined up. Um, being a founder male or female founder really there's no gender involved in this um is about being able to pivot being able to change being able to tear up the plan and start a brand new plan whenever you can we've been very fortunate just one of the things that richard mentioned there was around um you know uh the the partnerships and the funnel and sales funnel what we've done is we're actually looking at in in Avtrain about building the marketplace so we're we're starting in such an innovative industry that as that is it, it really it's a, it's an embryo at this stage you know it's it hasn't even grown yet so um, one of the things we have is a partnership with future mobility campus ireland down in shannon and shannon airport group and we're looking we just got cesar funding as well which is a five and a half million euro um fund from europe where we're working with the likes of Collins Aerospace and uh, MANA drones are actually involved in that as well. And that's about building our marketplace. So we're looking at lower airspace management so that we can actually allow this industry to grow. So it's about getting into the grassroots of your industry as well and knowing your industry really well, knowing your niche, where you are. Um, and as a founder, then building on that and resilience. You mentioned the word. It's not a word I'm overly fond of, but it's about confidence and being able to take the knocks, brush yourself off and get back up again and just keep going. Um, as a sole founder, even as co-founders, it's, uh, it is about finding your tribe as well. It's about having people, whether they're a mentor, whether they're a sponsor, whether they're your best mate, whoever it is, have a sounding board because it can be a very lonely path. So make sure that you do surround yourself with people who are going to support you, but also people who are going to sound check you as well, you know, who are actually going to point out and say, are you sure this is the right track? Um, you don't just want, you know, validation all the time and somebody patting you on the back saying you're doing a great job. You actually need somebody who's, who's really going to help you make those decisions and um, you you know that your own self analysis is actually valid, not overly self analytical or self critical, but um, but that you are looking at what you're doing. So yeah, I think um, confidence in what you're doing and uh, do it. Brilliant, great advice. So, what's next for Avtrain? So uh, fundraising is going to be a big thing. We're growing the team. We're um, we're recruiting. Actually, we're going to have um, two positions um, put out by the end of this week. One is for a legal technologist, which is uh, basically a junior consultant within the business, um, really looking towards risk management, risk analysis. So technical person with legal skills or legal person with technical skills. Really, it's a combination of both of those to come into the industry. Um, and the other one then is a product manager for the software. And uh, we're going to go to tender on that because part of the funding that we've received for that is through... Uh, the, the European Commission. Um, so we're going to put a tender out for that. So we want a product manager in from the from the outset. So that's the very immediate short term, as in as by the end of this week, um, we'll have those two roles out. And that's about building out the team. And that and the, and the big thing around doing that is to allow me the time to go out to fun, from a fundraising point of view, um, to give the time so that the business, the structure is there, the business continuation plan is there in order to make sure that it's seamless from where we go to now to where we move towards when we build out the software that's going to support um, the manual processes that we do right now now and really um, you know transform the business and transform how the industry grows as well and how we support that industry growth too to encourage the prolific drone operations that's part of our mission at Avtrain. And can you tell us five years from now you know Avtrain you 
what's drone what is the world of drones going to look like it will be global at that stage um at the moment our ambition is um europe because we have a european regulatory structure which allows us to grow across europe very easily because what we do here in ireland is valid anywhere across europe and we've already um uh, this morning i have a, a call after this with ava who are the estonian aviation academy and i was appointed as of last week to the it's a government appointment within estonia so we're really reaching out i also sit as uh, the um, I'm the, as I said the founding chair of the Unmanned Aircraft Association, but as part of that, we established the Unmanned. So, so the Unmanned Aircraft Association is there now. I'm the vice chair of that. As part of that, we set up JEDA, which is the Joint European Drone Associations. As part of JEDA, I sit on. We love our acronyms. As part of JEDA, I sit on JARIS, which is the Joint Authorities for Rulemaking on Unmanned Systems. And as of last week, I was voted onto the uh, as the vice chair of the Industry Stakeholders Board there, which is a global. Um, uh, organization that looks after the regulation what they do is they write white papers and they write regulatory structures that individual countries or organizations like EASA the European Aviation Safety Agency can then adopt so it's being at that driving force from a global regulator point of view and trying to drive that commonality across the globe so Avtrain certainly is completely global ambitions so Europe, first of all, um, then the UK as well. The UK is very much coming online with these with the Jarus regulatory structure. So, um, and then the uh, the rest of the world. Okay, world domination. Okay, thank you so much for joining us, Julie and Richard. You have been listening to the Further with Founders podcast. I am Dr. Rosalind Beer. I'm looking forward to you joining us on our next episode.